Welcome to the Art and Joe podcast. You're listening to Memories, part of a collection of music available at www.bensound.com. I'm Landon Thomasma, owner and operator of Art and Joe, Stillville, Missouri's own little coffee shop. In these files, you'll find a collection of sermons, devotions, stories, and musings, whatever happens to be on my heavily caffeinated mind. I hope you might find something useful somewhere in there. This week is a sermon I preached during Advent on December the 4th, 2016 at Steelville Presbyterian Church. The scripture is Matthew chapter 3, verses 1-12, through 12, which describes John the Baptist's ministry in the Jordan River. And the title is, If You Want to Claim the Root. A church had just called a new pastor. He was known for giving a good sermon, so people were looking forward to his first day in the pulpit. And they weren't disappointed the man was a great orator, made his points in a forceful manner, had them laughing at some points and nodding their heads most thoughtfully in others. He held their attention throughout and brought his sermon to an inspiring conclusion, far sooner than they really wanted. All in all, they found him to be a most satisfactory preacher and let him know the fact as they filtered past him to exit the church. They returned to church the next week full of eager anticipation, but a few minutes into the pastor's sermon, it began to dawn on them. It sounded as if he was preaching the exact same sermon. Sure enough, point for point, anecdote for anecdote, illustration for illustration, it was the exact same sermon they had heard the week before. True, people were able to catch a few new points from it, but it still seemed odd, like some sort of time warp. It was puzzling. It got more alarming the next week when he did it again. The exact same sermon, word for word. <laughs> It made folks wonder if that was the only sermon he knew. The elders knew they had to do something, so after a quick consultation during the offering, they asked the pastor to join them in the lounge following the service. First and foremost, said one of the elders, we want to compliment you on your preaching. You really are a wonderful speaker, just as we all hoped. Your um, uh, sermon was inspiring, and we've enjoyed it every time. But, and I think I speak for everyone here, we're wondering when, uh, well, how can I put this? Uh, when do you plan on preaching a different sermon? Well, I'd be happy to preach a different sermon, the pastor said. When do you plan on doing something about this one? Entertainment hasn't always been as easy to come by as it is today. For most of history, when you wanted diversion and a change of pace, you had to make it yourself. Storytelling used to be something everyone gathered to hear. Folks in Judea had another source of entertainment, and that was prophets. From offhand comments throughout the Gospels and the Book of Acts, we know that there were spates of men who would travel the land, proclaiming the word of the Lord in one manner or another. Some of them gathered a following, but in the end, people would either lose interest or the authorities would find something objectionable in what they said and arrest them, and that would be that. John bar Zacharias was, in one sense, yet another such prophet. He wore an uncomfortable coat made of camel hair, and he ate aesthetic-sounding food such as locusts and honey. Interesting note here, locusts are no longer considered kosher to eat because the Bible mentions two different kinds, and the rabbis can't decide on which one is allowed to eat and which one isn't. So, to play it safe, they're both off the menu. And he spoke a specific message from the Lord. 
Being a prophet, by the way, involves a little more than just speaking the Lord's word. Christian singer and evangelist Keith Green once wrote about some of the people who had visited his last day's ministries. We had one guy show up, and when we invited him to eat a meal with us, he said that God had told him not to eat. We asked him how long. He said he didn't know, but he wasn't supposed to eat. He told a sad story of how everybody had rejected him, his parents, his church, and every other church he'd gone to. When we asked him what God had told him to share, he opened the Bible and started reading from Revelation. After a while, one of our elders counseled him to go back home and get his relationships right with his parents and his pastor. This he refused to do, and he went his way refusing to eat and refusing to listen because God had told him. Another time we had a guy with long robes show up who said God had told him to come and tell all the ministers around here that the Garden of Eden was in the state of Georgia. He shared with such urgency, with such sincerity, but no matter what we said to him, he couldn't sway him from his divine commission because God had told him. He had no one to counsel him, no one to listen to, no one to confirm that yes, God had truly spoken to him. He was on his own and he was right, the only one right. I have no way of knowing whether either of those men had truly been called by the Lord, but it seems to me as I read through the prophets in the Old Testament, there are a few things I notice about them. First, they were open to having their prophecy tested. Many times they did the testing themselves. A number of places in the Bible, a prophet is given a vision, and then the Lord asks him, do you know what this vision means? More often than not, the prophet answers with, Lord, you know, which is classical biblical language for, no, I don't have the slightest idea. Other times, such as in Ezekiel chapter 4, they were the first ones to raise objections to what God was asking them to do. Also, the prophet's messages directed people to God and to the words he's already spoken. Not just a repetition of scripture, but as an expansion based on existing scripture. The Lord has promised this in the past. Therefore, this is what he says about that promise now. As a result, prophecy is meant to lead to action. We see both of those ideas at work in John the Baptist. His message was that of Isaiah the prophet. Prepare the way of the Lord. Fill in the valleys and tear down the mountains. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so people came to him. They came to be baptized, to have their sins forgiven. This was an old tradition that still exists in Orthodox Jewish circles. There is a mikvah, or a ritual bath, in the synagogue. And members immerse themselves in the water to cleanse themselves of their spiritual impurities, the wrongs they have done. But they didn't come just to be baptized. They came to ask what practical things they were to do. Back in March, I talked about Zacchaeus and the possibility that he might have been in the crowd of tax collectors who went to John and asked what they should do. He told them, do not collect more money than you have the authority to demand. Soldiers asked him what they should do, and he said, don't muscle people for money, but be content with your pay. And then came the teachers of the law and the officials of the temple. Now, there's no record of them asking what they should do, and that makes sense, because they were the teachers of the law. They knew all of the requirements of God, and they meditated and discussed the law for hours every day. They didn't need a prophet to tell them what to do to prepare. They knew what to do. But they came to be baptized, not because they needed to repent of their sins, but because it was good for them. And it would look good, too. 
That didn't faze John. He had a message for them too. You brood of vipers, he said. Who told you you needed to be here? Then, without being asked, he told them what they were to do. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Don't assume that being a descendant of Abraham is your salvation. God can make descendants of Abraham out of the stones by the road. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Because any tree that doesn't will be rooted out. The Messiah is coming to winnow out the good fruit from the chaff. So look to yourselves and the fruit you're bearing. This is John's message to those in charge of God's people. If you want to claim the root, you've got to bear the fruit. But this isn't just an admonition to be good neighbors, to be content with what you have and care for those around you. John's speaking not just to the position of the teachers of the law, but to their responsibility before God. Jesus will pick up that theme. Listen carefully to what the Pharisees teach you and do everything they say. But don't do what they do, for you won't know the quality of a tree by its leaves. You'll know it by its fruit. Paul will pick it up again as he outlines just what fruit to look for and what the disciple needs to bear in his own life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But look at the subtle shift here. Suddenly it's not just the Pharisee who is expected to bear worthy fruit, but it's the simple believer the disciple of Jesus. You see, what John told the Pharisees and the Sadducees actually came about. God did make descendants of Abraham out of us, the very stones of the road, the rough, craggy, sharp-edged stumbling blocks to the children of Israel, the nations that used to rage against God's beloved. God in Jesus brought us in and made us his beloved along with them. Paul describes it as a wild olive branch that's been grafted into an established tree. We were in Herman, Missouri a couple of weeks ago, and the subject of grafting came up. We learned that in the mid-1800s, Europe's grape crop, and France's in particular, was nearly wiped out. The culprit turned out to be a North American aphid that hitched a ride to Europe. In the end, the only cure was to take cuttings from North American grapes and graft them onto the European vines. The American plants transferred their resistance to the bugs into the European hosts, and the French wine industry was saved. In that case, the French plant's salvation lay in the new branches that were grafted onto it. In our case, it's the opposite. Our salvation lies in the roots of faith established by God from creation onwards. But either way, the principle of connecting the root to the fruit remains the same. If the branch doesn't connect to the root, it won't survive. And how do you know it's connected to the root? You guessed it. If you want to claim the root, you've got to bear the fruit. The faith we claim didn't spring fully formed into the world when Jesus was born. God has shown his hand in the lives of his creatures from the beginning of time. From the time that God called Abraham to leave his home, God made it clear he was choosing a people to be a blessing to all the nations. And that theme was repeated over and over throughout what we know as the Old Testament. We don't claim a faith separated from Israel, but one that's been grafted onto the root of the full history of Israel's election and faith. But too often, we find ourselves in the place of those teachers of the law, of taking our positions for granted. They were assured of their rightness with God because they were descendants of Abraham. 
and they were so thankful they weren't the people they saw around them. And be honest, don't we get that way sometimes? We might chuckle at other churches who claim that this country is uniquely blessed by God, but we take those blessings for granted too. In the midst of a world and a nation rife with the works of the flesh, impure lives, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, addictions, don't we sometimes breathe a sigh of relief that we and our friends aren't like that? Now, during Advent, this is a time when you see a lot of what we call the spirit of Christmas. We're good and friendly and kind to one another. There's charity, there's openness, all in a spirit of what we know as goodwill. And we often hear people wishing they could carry that spirit all year round. So why don't they? Well, I think it's largely because goodwill is the only thing driving it. A lot of people give at the end of the year because it's good for their bottom line around tax time. Just like the Pharisees who came to be baptized because it looked good on their rap sheet. Some people are caught up in the beautiful songs and the expressions of peace and brotherhood. Others love the lights and the decorations. Like the people who came to see an unusual man in the desert. But once the music is packed away and the lights come down again, all they have is a few cold months of winter to face. Goodwill only lasts until our will changes. It's a shallow sentiment. There's no root to tap. But we have a root to tap. An eternal source of joy, of love, of patience and long-suffering, of self-control and kindness, of care and justice and mercy. It's available to us regardless of time. And though we sometimes have to help hold one another up, that root is what binds us together and gives us life. And if you want to claim that root, what do you have to do? Bear the fruit. Not just once a year. Not just in season. Jesus cursed a fig tree that wasn't bearing fruit, even though it was out of season. Now, was that because he was a really big fan of figs? No, it was for our sake. To remind us to bear fruit worthy of repentance. Not just when our will is good, not just when tis the season, but in every season. Whenever we see the need for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, we take any and every opportunity to make it clear just where our roots lie. If you want to claim the root, you have to bear the fruit. You've been listening to the Art and Joe podcast. You can find Art and Joe at 105 East Main Street in Steelville, Missouri, the heart of the Ozarks. Just look for the big yellow sign that says, you need a cup of coffee. You can visit our website at artandjoe.ntunes.com. That's art, A-N-D-Joe, at N-T-O-O-N-Z.com. Or drop by our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash artandjoe. Thank you for listening, and God bless.